On the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Hey, thanks for tuning in and telling friends that you hang out here on the other side of Texas, broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash five years running. Check into one of their five convenient locations across Sub City for the best wash around, guaranteed at racerwash.com. Big week ahead of us here as we get... In, well, we're midweek at this point, and we have our friends, Coach Poe. How's it going? And Brandon Darby, Breitbart, Texas. Nothing? Not, not yet. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm right. saving up. My, my entrance has to be grand. Have uh, my, Brandon Darby, Breitbart, Texas. Hey, guys. There you go. I uh, got plenty to get into as we get ahead in this episode here. I uh, want to start with the medical marijuana discussion as we get into the Texas legislature. Coach Poe, chime in as you will. This is where we begin today. The Texas Tribune in their piece, Joshua Rains worried about going to his son's concert in December, not because of his son, but because he himself would be sitting amongst throngs of people, which was sure to raise his anxieties. Ultimately, he decided to go, but it wasn't long before the Army veteran's hand began shaking a seizure warning. He smoked a cigarette outside but quickly realized that that wasn't the comfortable the comfort he sought. So he left the concert early, returned to his Parker County home, and turned on his cannabis vape pipe. Uh, Brandon Darby, is it time for marijuana, medical marijuana in Texas? Um, well, you know, first off, I think the majority of people who want medical marijuana are probably people who just want to get high. And I think that some of them are people who really want medical marijuana. Um, I know quite a few who are in situations where they do smoke marijuana or utilize marijuana um, for chronic conditions. Um, but I also know a lot of people who just want to get high and have medical marijuana cards in other states. Um, and to that I say, so what if they just want to get high? Let them get high. I think it would be much better for our society if people hung out and smoked a joint and um, you know played bongos like Matthew McConaughey did, or preferably with their clothes on, not like he did. For you who don't remember, he uh, he'd gotten arrested because police an alarm went off on his house many years ago, over a decade ago. And when police entered his house, they found he and another guy friend naked playing bongos high. <laughs> and they arrested him, and then it got thrown out of court. But um, I, to that, I say that's probably better than what happens if we go to a number of bars here in Lubbock where we go out and get in a fist fight and get drunk and then get a DUI and kill people. Um, I, don't, I don't have a problem with marijuana. I think that 
you know, like I, I'm generally not a user because of work I do with law enforcement and have done and friendships, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, make those guys feel betrayed. But if I were to go to Colorado or California or D.C., I probably would, uh, because I think it's pleasurable, you know, and. I would think if I were in significant pain, taking ibuprofen and Tylenol in addition with marijuana would probably be a better alternative than um, than taking opioids. I would think. Uh, yeah. So I, I have a lot of complex feelings on it. I know my own grandfather when he was dying. Uh, you know, um, he he got to a point where he could no longer eat because of his chemo. And he um, he could not eat, and they were about to have to put a tube in his belly. And you know we're Cajuns, so like it, eating is a big part of our family. And so I talked him into this was many years ago, many decades ago now. Actually, I was in my early twenties now. I'm in my early forties, but I talked him into marijuana, and he agreed to it. And he was overeating and didn't prolong his life, but it definitely kept a feeding tube away, and it it helped him be able to eat. So. You know, there are those medicinal cases. I think it's important, and there are probably the majority of people who just want to get high. And I think that's probably better than what we do right now to get a buzz on, which is to use a drug called alcohol um, to do that. There are some implications for Mexico, but we can get into that later. How so? Let's get into it now. Well, okay. So for many years, Mexican marijuana, which is known as schlag or known as is dirt weed is not very good it's grown outside it's not hydroponically grown like a lot of u.s marijuana is now um for years that was a very profitable crop for for mexicans and for mexican criminal groups uh we call them transnational criminal organizations uh, other people call them cartels that's the more, more colloquial term um, and, and as we began to decriminalize marijuana in the united states and people began to grow very sophisticated uh, marijuana, uh, nicer marijuana, uh, hydro, or what have you call it. Um, Mexican weed grown outdoors was no longer something that people really wanted. And so what happened is it became very difficult for cartels to make money from marijuana. So what they did was they did two things. One is some cartels, like the Gulf Cartel and Los Etas, turned to migrant smuggling and began to promote migrant smuggling. Um, in an effort to replace their profits from marijuana, and which participated in leading up to why we have the problem we have right now. Um, another thing that happened is Mexicans began to stop using their fields for marijuana cultivation and they began to grow poppy. And poppy in Mexico, the, the hair, they began to produce heroin instead of marijuana because they couldn't make money from marijuana. And now the, the, marijuana, the, the, the heroin that comes from Mexico is called black tar, and it's not very good. So because it isn't very good, it can't compete with Asian opiates and what have you or pharmaceuticals. So the Mexican cartels began to use fentanyl in their heroin. And here we are today with... Uh, a massive problem with people overdosing on a heroin's a lot more available because of that because of mm -hmm. the decriminalization of marijuana and b fentanyl is killing a lot of people people are overdosing because mexican cartels are using it to make their swag heroin um 
uh, more powerful. So it, it, it has a lot of implications. Uh, but again, I mean, you know, we have a lot of people whose lives are ruined because they were caught with a joy or because they were caught with marijuana. And um, so there's, a, there's consequences uh, either way on what we do, but, but those are one of the consequences. And I say that as someone who thinks it should be decriminalized. Uh, there are consequences to decriminalizing it, and know it decriminalizing it. What are the consequences? It, well, I just got done listing them. But but one of the things that you know people often say, especially the libertarian crowd, is they'll say, "Well, you know, Mexico's problems in migration would be stopped if if we just de ended the drug war." And that's just obviously not true. When we ended the some of the war on marijuana, we it turned into more migration. It turned into more. Um, and I say illicit migration, and it turned into more problems for us, it turned into more problems for them in Mexico and in Central America because of, of what it fuels, this, the groups who are fueled by it. Um, it. You know, it turns into us having more heroin, it turns into us having a lot of these things uh, when, we, when we started to decriminalize marijuana. So there are consequences regardless of what we do. You know, if, if we don't decriminalize it, we end up with a country where half of our people are committing crimes and risking getting their lives ruined by getting caught with the substance. Um, if we don't decriminalize it, we end up in a situation where there are probably a lot of cancer patients and other people who are chronically ill who are not going to get relief they would otherwise get, or they're being forced into crime in order to obtain the, the, the THC. Um, if, we, if we do decriminalize it, there are consequences as well, like what we just talked about with Mexico. Hmm. Brandon Darby, Breitbart, Texas. Coach Poe. Uh, Coach Poe, tell us, you work with kids day in and day out. Uh, what do you see on the marijuana front? your day in day out you know i think that we're seeing a lot of rise a big rise on on vaping and jewels and things of that nature and what are jewels jewels basically it's a it's, it's a vape top um a nicotine replacement therapy yeah, right and uh it, it's the size of a flash drive and in fact some of them look like the old flash drives or even like a pin and uh it's very trendy for kids and you know, it's like smoking back in the 70s. You'd take cigarettes to the schoolhouse and smoke in the bathroom or whatever. And back in some, the 70s? Okay, I don't know. How long? I was doing that now? in the 90s. <laughs> According to the movies. I'm thinking when those when I'm, the song I'm just came trying out, not to smoke in the boys' room. Here. Well, you know, I was born in the 80s, so I don't really remember. But um, Anyway, we're seeing a huge rise of that among kids, <clears throat> especially... I'm, I don't think it's just centralized to the place that I work. I think it's probably nationwide. And a lot of these times, um, the synthetic marijuana you can find to put into a vape, and uh, you're actually seeing kids die from smoking this synthetic marijuana. And so that's kind of a huge concern for a lot of people and really trying to educate people on what that is and what it looks like and get kids aware of what it is and to avoid it and so uh, we see that that a lot um, you know marijuana is easily accessible it would seem like I, I think you know we could legalize it and I agree with with Brandon in the sense that um, there's consequences to it um, to, to making it legal and I think obviously there's consequences to it now 
And I, I think but making people, it legal would not be. I don't think it'd be eight. It'd be eighteen and over. Sure. Not eighteen and younger, which right. would be the group that you're working with. Right. But how predominant is it, though? I mean, you work junior high and high mm-hmm. school. How often do you see this? Well, out of every uh, ten kids, how often? I would say at every out of ten, probably half. Hmm. Um, and you know, I work in a district that that drug tests, and that's one of the things that it's tested for. And so, um, it's not uncommon to have uh, that come back on a drug test, and uh, and and the kids have to miss time of athletic time for recreational drug use, I guess. So. Okay, so half the time. And but how do you find through drug tests that you find out that sure and in another way you know kids aren't the smartest so their social media avenues they put they like to show it on their Snapchats or Instagram or whatever and that's one of the big ways. But as coaches, you're watching this. Oh yeah, yeah. So you see see them put it up. Yeah. So you can fill a drug test or you can fill a Snapchat test. (laughs) They're they're a lot smarter with the way they do their Snapchats now, but. Both could happen. Hmm. Hmm. And so you think half the time? I do, and I th- and that might that number might even be low. I don't know. So I th- I think for sure, um, it's out there. It's in every school. It's probably, you know, a lot of the parents who think their kids aren't involved with it, they probably are to some extent, and. It's, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just naive, but it seems way more accessible now than it was when I was in school. Hmm. So, why do you think? Uh, I, I think because there was still kind of a negative connotation to it uh, when I was in school about getting caught with it. And there was kind of this, I think, healthy fear of consequences that would come from it. So, um, a lot of people wanted to stay away from it. And now, uh, there's a kids are tricky, man. Like they think that they can get around the system and beat the system, and uh, you'll you'll see kids even now uh, show up to school with somebody else's urine in case there's a drug test. And these are 16, 17, and 18 year old kids that are thinking I can do this and not get caught. And and you'll you'll have kids go and ask another kid, hey, can I have some of your pee? Hmm. I have a question though. Is it is it is marijuana illegal in is it illegal in Lubbock? No. But yet marijuana is not legal here. Right. But yet even with it illegal, there's a percentage of kids who do it. Right. And like we talked about the jewels and the vaping, I have a theory. Like I wonder, you know, when I was younger I started smoking and now I quit smoking. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if the kids, the, the rise in vaping, I wonder if that's kids who would otherwise be smoking cigarettes, you know? Yeah. yeah. And if that's the case, then it's a good thing that there's a rise in vaping, right? Instead of a rise in smoking. You know, if you think about it, like, um, so I wonder some of this stuff, because like what I'm hearing is that even though it's illegal, kids who want access to marijuana all have access to it, right? Right. I mean, I would say anybody who wants access to anything's going to find it and get it somehow. Hmm. Let's cut there. I want to get into port-to-entry argument with Brandon Darby. Not an argument. 
But hear him talk about ports of entry and how they play into this. Going to take a quickie break right back here on the other side of Texas about 90 seconds from now. From the studios where Buddy Holly became famous, this segment brought to you by Title One Lubbock's Digital Real Estate and Title Escrow Company. Title One is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at TitleOne.com. Back on other side of Texas, have our friend Brandon Darby, managing editor of Breitbart Texas, and Coach Poe in studio as we roll along here in Brandon Darby we're talking about medicinal marijuana and we've made the case here for whether or not it should be legal and then how it's brought into vaping we had coach Poe talk about some students and um, school problems with it but here's where I want to bring you in the conversation Brandon on a different front People say if we controlled the border better, we'd be able to control marijuana better. Give listeners an idea of what that means. Well, that might have been true in the past. It's not really true now. I mean, now most of the most of the drugs, you know, this is where everything gets really complicated and people get mad at me on the right uh, when I talk about this because, they, you know, first off, I am a proponent of building physical barriers on the border with Mexico in areas where they're needed. Steel or concrete? Um, <laughs> there, I, I would probably go with steel. I, I don't think it's good for our agents on the border or for border security that we can't see what's on the other side. Um, you know, especially considering the types of incidents we have. You know, if people were throwing rocks or, or other devices over the wall, it would probably be good to be able to respond instead of having to just take cover all the time and not know where it's coming from and not be able to do anything back. Um, so it's probably a good idea to, to be able to see through it, which would kind of mean it's really a fence. Um, but that's not the point. The point is, is that even though I am a proponent of it, a lot of the reasons that I hear people say that they are a proponent of it are reasons that facts don't, the facts don't support that it would resolve the issue. For instance, marijuana, the only drug that comes across the border in between ports of entry right now, like on a large scale, is marijuana, and it's marijuana that very few people want to smoke. Um, most heavy drugs, most cocaine, most methamphetamine, most, most heroin, um, comes across the southwest border, that's the southern border, with the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, at ports of entry, either either on trains or in, in vehicles or in people or on people. Um, that's how the vast majority of, 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 of hard drugs come across the border. Uh, the majority of fentanyl is sent is, comes from China, and the majority of it is sent through Canada and then enters the United States via parcel, that's mail. Um, and uh, through the mail service, right, whether it's private or public, and that's according to the to the 2018 uh, Drug Enforcement Agency's uh, National Drug Threat Assessment. Um, they put out the 2018 it factors very similar to the 2017 DEA National Drug Threat Assessment, and they tell there's a section everyone can Google that, 
and you know DEA National Drug Threat Assessment, and then there's a section for each substance, and it says transportation, and then it tells you how the majority of it gets into the United States. So if you say, I want to build a wall to stop the heroin, well, it, that would stop about 11% of the heroin in the United States. 89% um, of it comes through ports of entry, according to our own government. 89. 89. And, uh, you know, when we talk about illegal immigration right now, we have roughly, I think on average in 2018, we had, on average, we had 1,100 apprehensions per day. That means people that came in between ports of entry illicitly into our country, not not legitimately, um, or not through a legitimate port of entry is a better way to say it. Um, you know, and half of the people listening right now are like, you mean illegals? And I'm like, no, because not all of them were illegal. Like our law says that if you come onto our soil and request asylum to the first agent you see, that is not illegal. That is not an illegal entry according to our law, to what Congress has established. Now the executive branch and, and DHS is saying, well, we decided that the only way that applies is if you come to a port of entry. That's not what Congress wrote in the law. So. Again, this is one of those tricky things where the president does not write laws, and neither neither do DHS. They enforce laws, and um, and uh, they do not write laws, and uh, that's not how it works in our country. Um, but I think people forget that when it comes when it's something we want, right? Like if you're on the right and you you want people who come into the country between ports of entry to be illegal aliens, well, some of them are coming illegally and would be considered illegal aliens. People who come across to claim asylum or to request asylum are not considered illegal aliens by law. You might think they should be, and that's fine if you think that. Um, I think we should not allow people to come in between ports of entry as well. But that does not, just because I feel like it, doesn't mean that that's what the laws that Congress passed and the way that our, our, our asylum and refugee laws are written. That's not how they're written. Uh, so that might need to change, but it doesn't take away from it. But if you say, like, well, you know, we need to build that wall to stop all the illegal immigrants. Well, out of the 1,100 per day who are coming across, roughly half of those are people requesting asylum. So even if you built the wall all the way to the moon and you consider that in the state of Texas where most of the people are coming, roughly 900 to 1,000 of those 1,100 per day enter Texas in, in one sector, the Rio Grande Valley sector, and you consider that the area where that wall is, is already existing, the, the fence, the barrier, um, and where they're planning on building it, it's 40 yards to up to one mile into the interior of the United States. That doesn't change people coming onto U.S. soil and requesting asylum. So you can reduce, you can, you can slow down the people trying to sneak into the country illegally, but it's not going to stop, you know, you know, roughly five to six hundred of the people coming in between ports of entry per day are requesting asylum. How many of those That's people? That's not going to change that. How many of those people sneaking in, though, Brandon Darby, are sneaking in drugs? Well, that, that's the thing. So generally, that's not what happens. So people, illegal immigrants, are not generally smuggling drugs. What's generally happening is, and it depends what we're talking about on the border. There are nine sectors. All of those nine sectors have at least one different criminal group they're dealing with, possibly two or three. Uh, we all call them cartels. Like if we were to go to Arizona, it, it's common knowledge that, that the Arizona border is run by the Sinaloa cartel, right? But if you really look at the facts, 
It's run by a group called Los Salazar and another group called Los Mimos. Both of those cartels, those, those regional criminal groups, pledge allegiance to the Sinaloa cartel, so they are considered Sinaloa Federation, Sinaloa cartel groups. But they are actually two independent groups who are actually at war with each other, right? So there's there's all these this nuance and detail. But if we were to go to the U.S. to the Texas side, and we were to go to the Rio Grande Valley sector, you have Los Zetas and you have the Gulf Cartel, and and what those groups do is those groups do not allow people to come through. Um, migrants to come through unless those migrants are paying them a lot of money which the migrants usually don't have so then what they do is they identify a relative back home in the village where the migrants from they say hey we have somebody there we know who your grandma is who your your abuelita we know who your who your mom is we know who your sister is and if you don't send us if you don't pay us the 10 grand to cross the border we're going to kill your family or rape your family so what happens is those migrants come into the, they get smuggled into the US and then uh, they send payments every two weeks via Western Union or a land of Aluda or however, whatever mechanism back to those criminal groups. So now we have a situation where with Los Zetas and with the Gulf Cartel, um, we have a situation where the two dominant factions of both cartels actually make as much or more from illegal immigration and, and from our asylum system than they make from narcotics now. So they have, in fact, become illegal immigration or, or asylum refugee cartels, right? And, and so that, that's a real problem. So what they do is they store up people in a warehouse, and like the Reynosa faction of the Gulf cartel, Los Metros, they'll store up people in a warehouse, and then they'll go, okay, we're going to get these people in all the way to Houston or wherever, but, but these people, we're going to get these women and children who want asylum, and we're going to we're going to dump them on this section of the border and tell them to cross at this time. And then when all of the agents get pulled off the rest of the border to go and process these this women and children, then we're going to get our drug load through over here. Mm. So that's really the way that works out. So it's more like the migrants are being used as pawns. Um, like a uh, bait and switch. A bait and switch, a classic bait and switch, yeah. So that answers my question. I was going to go back to... If the ports of entry are the major carriers of drugs, how are they the major carriers of drugs? And it's a bait and switch. No, so this isn't ports of entry. This is this okay. is so so okay. So when we're but talking you've about the, made the argument that no, ports of entries. Uh, yeah, that's a different issue because okay. border patrol Explain does not deal with ports of entry. Border Patrol deals with, okay, so CBP, which is, okay, there's Department of Homeland Security. Under Department of Homeland Security are many offices. One of them, agencies, one of them is Customs and Border Protection, CBP, okay? CBP is divided into two. CBP has the Office of Border Patrol and the Office of Field Operations. The Office of Border Patrol deals with in-between ports of entry. Office of Field Operations is CBP officers Customs officers are people who are at the ports of entry. That's who deals with ports of entry, not border patrol agents. And then custom, the, the customs officers don't deal with in-between ports of entry. So when we're talking about people coming in-between ports of entry, that's a separate deal entirely, whether we're talking about drugs or migrants, than it is at ports of entry. Now we're talking about 
customs customs officers and we're, we're talking about the uh, office of field operations so it's a totally different deal so when we talk about drugs coming through ports of entry how they do that is a different deal than how groups get drugs across remember 11 percent of the heroin that comes in the u.s is still a significant amount of heroin right um, you know, uh, 27% of the cocaine that comes in the U.S. is still a significant amount of cocaine. 20% of the methamphetamine that comes in the U.S. is still a significant amount of methamphetamine. I mean, in fact, look at it this way. If you look at, if you take 100, 100 drug addicts in Lubbock, which we for surely have, and you take 100 people addicted to heroin or to methamphetamine, and you, you ask their families, with, now we're talking about hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people, right, who love those hundred drug addicts, and you say, hey, um, 20, 20, of, 20 of that hundred, 20 people aren't going aren't gonna to die of an overdose this week because we, we cut off the supply, you know? Only 80 are dying, right? Like those, that's that's pretty significant to those 20 families, right? To those 20 addicts families, and how many people that impacts. So, so there's still a lot of drugs coming in between ports of entry, just not in comparison with what comes at ports of entry. Hmm. Brandon Darby, Coach Poe, as we roll along. Um, Sorry, I say analytical guy. I didn't mean to do that. I, I can't. No. So these are analytical things I think about. So talk it, about that on the other but, side. But it, but it drives me insane because, like, in my situation. Um, I like to write, I, I run a news org, I like to do radio, but I really don't like to do TV because I, the, the platform of television doesn't, doesn't, unless it's PBS or something, like you, you have to talk in 30 second sound bites and you can't accurately talk about a complex issue in 30 second sound bites. But the majority of, we have some very serious, we have our government shut down right now for the most part. We have some very serious public policy discussions to have. But the majority of it is being driven by television and is being uh, policy decisions and policy advocacy is being done via television via 30 second sound bites. And the, the reality about the border, the realities that we all need to know are, are not realities that fit in 30 second sound bites. Like, it, like the, the, the facts are, there are a lot of facts that Democrats would like and there are a lot of facts that Republicans would like. And there's a lot of facts Republicans that don't benefit the Republican narrative and a lot of facts that don't benefit the Democrat narrative. There are parts of the border that are safe. There are parts of the border that are very dangerous. There are aspects, I mean, we could go on. There are, there are migrants who cross who are really good people trying to feed their families. And there are migrants who cross who are previously deported and convicted sex offenders who served 10 years for raping children. These things are both true at the same time. There are segments of our society that are helped by there being illegal immigration, and there are segments of our society and our economy that are hurt by there being illegal immigration, right? As a property owner and I run a fence bill, it helps me that there's illegal immigration. As a person who is an inner city uh, minority, if I'm a, a, a black person in inner city Dallas and I'm trying to get a low-level job because of whatever reason that I'm not in a position to, to have a high-level job, whether you want to call that systemic approach, whatever you want to call it, like, like I am not helped by, by people working for less than me in a kitchen at a hotel. It does not help me. Right, so if, if it depends on where how you're looking at it, but so many of the arguments people are making are all true, are half truths, and and no one can really, no one really on the tele, on my TV set is actually talking about the factors that are at play. They're 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 advocating a position rather than trying to inform the public what's actually occurring. Hmm. Hey, uh, we're going to close off there. Get into.
a quick break and then get back into medicinal marijuana, whether or not somebody who works professionally with this day-to-day thinks it's a good idea, Coach Bo, and then get some response from Brandon Darby, managing editor of Breitbart Texas Stick with us about 90 seconds from now. The other side of Texas, sponsored by the law firm of Mullen, Horton, Brown, LLP, with offices in Lubbock, Amarillo, and Dallas, employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation, banking, financial restructuring, employment law, and estate planning. Have our friends, Coach Poe, here in studio, as well as Brandon Darby, Managing Editor of Breitbart, Texas. We started this with medicinal marijuana and then began to, and we're going to get back to the medicinal side, but to the drug side. Brandon Darby, during the break, we're sitting here, you're making our eyes just roll over talking about disappearances in this drug war. Uh, folks that are disappearing in mass graves. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, first off, we devalue, and I'm going to say we, and everybody's going to get mad and be like, you're talking about, you call me a racist. I'm not calling you a racist, but I'm telling you that we as a country, uh, especially our journalists and our editors, but we as a nation, we, see, we obviously see less value in Mexicans' lives than we do in our own lives or than we do in the lives of people in Africa or the lives of people in the Middle East. Um, we have an entire, uh, an entire, you know, half of the Democrat Party, half of the Republican Party, several generals, most of the media right now is, is upset that we're pulling out of Syria because those poor people and what ISIS does to them what Mexican cartels, some cartels in particular, are doing in Mexico is verifiably exponentially worse than what ISIS does. And, and we don't even care. And the only solution to that that I can come up, the only answer to why that is, is that we just don't value people in Mexico. Like, we, we just think they're less than, you know, if we knew that there were dogs being treated that way 100 miles away or three hours away, we would be in an uproar. But when it's, when it's Mexicans being treated that way five and a half hours away from here, and that's what it is, we, we don't care. And we just don't care as a country, and that's really sad to me. It's 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 uh, very upsetting. So when we're talking about Mexico, the numbers, if we take just since 2009, okay, in Mexico's cartel wars, they call it Mexican drug war. Um, I don't know that that's totally accurate to call it that, but it's primarily a drug war. But in the in the wars with cartels. We have seen roughly the estimates, you know, vary between 200 and 250 thousand people who have been murdered in Mexico in this cartel war. When we talk about the cartel war, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of people's bodies discovered in mass graves. We're talking about over 50 thousand missing people. Now the government of Mexico says, "Oh, it only pe- it only affects people who are involved in the drug trade." It, uh, that's just not true. It's not true. There are some areas where that's true, and there are many areas where it's not true. Mexico is a, is a place with 30, 32 districts, we roughly say states. So the, the more accurate way is to say thirty one states and one federal district. Over half of those states are not under control of of the federal government. 
They are controlled by paramilitary transnational criminal groups we call cartels. When Mexico wants to do something about them, they don't send the police or the FBI or DHS agents. They have to send their Marines. They have to send their Navy. They have to send their army in. They have to travel in. Now listen to me. They have to travel and, and they have to do police actions with armored vehicles and co military convoys. That's what we're dealing with. When they get into conflicts with the local criminals, it isn't a bunch of people shooting 38s at them. They're dealing with RPGs. They're dealing with armored vehicles, too. The, the criminals have armed. I mean, this is the kind of... It is, it is a war zone in a lot of places in Mexico right now. And that's what we're dealing with. And a lot of those places are along our border. Mexico calls it their frontera. That's their border region. A lot of those places are along the Mexican border. Some places, not so much. Some places, it's quite peaceful. Some places, it's really not peaceful. Some places, the cartels are much more professional. Some places, they're a bunch of glorified gangbangers who kill everybody even if they're innocent. And so some places, the cartels are very professional. Most of the Sinaloa-aligned groups are very professional and they don't allow their violence to spill over. The Gulf Cartel and Losetas pride themselves on allowing their violence to spill over So and then affect regular people. So, so th there's so many differences and so much nuance to understand, but the bottom line is that our border is not just El Paso. It's El Paso and Juarez. Our border is not just Brownsville, Texas. It's the sister city, which is Matamoros. It's not just McAllen. It's also Reynosa. It's not just Tijuana and San Ysidro. It's also, it, it, uh, it's not San Diego and San Ysidro. It's also Tijuana. Like the border region, in order to properly deal with it, you have to look at it as a region which includes the U.S. side and the Mexican side. If I had an infection in my finger and I had an infection in my palm, and the doctor only would, would put medicine on my finger and not treat my palm, you would say, what kind of doctor are you? You can't possibly make this infection go away just by, by making my finger okay. But it, my whole hand is infected. And if the doctor said, well, look, your finger's okay. He said, my palm is not okay. It's a matter of time before the infection gets back in my finger. You're like, yeah, but I treated your finger. Your finger looks good right now. And it's like, dude, my palm, the whole hand is infected. But that's the problem is we, we're, we're, our politicians talk about the border as though it's just the U.S. side. It's just the finger and they refuse to talk about the connected fingers in the palm. You have to look at the whole border region. And we don't look at the whole border region. We take things like these two children that died within 30 days of each other in the El Paso sector in Border Patrol's care or CBP's care and we go, look at that, That's, look what CBP did. CBP didn't do that. What did that was the conditions that the children fled from and the conditions the children went through to get to our border. That's what did that. And that's something that we've been talking about for years and screaming about, mm -hmm. but, but most of the U.S. media and most U.S. politicians, especially Democrats and especially Chamber of Commerce Republicans like Jeb Bush and Others who say it's an act of love to come to the border and they won't talk about not only the problems that we face because of an unsecured border, but the problems that migrants themselves go through because of our unsecured border. They won't talk about that. Like, it's almost like it's so damaging to their political narrative. It's so damaging to the Koch brothers' uh, desire to have the ability to exploit foreign labor and not to have to pay U.S. citizens what they deserve 
it's so damaging to people who want H1B visas and want to be able to pay some 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 uh, engineer from Pakistan $32,000 a year instead of the 112 that have to pay a starting U.S. engineer, right? It's so damaging to them that they just, they're like, you know what? I care more about making money than I do about the plight of those Mexicans. Screw them. I don't care if 70 to 80% of the migrant women who come to our border from Central America are sexually assaulted along the way. And anything we do to encourage more of it means we're encouraging more rapes and sexual assaults. I don't care. Just say the border's safe. Say it's an act of love. Refuse to talk about this other aspect of it, which is the majority of it. And let's just move on with our life and call everybody who cares about it a racist so they shut up. That's what's going on right now. So your U.S. Senator, Brandon Darby, you want to treat the palm. What initiatives do we put in place? Well, there's a lot of things. First off, and this is, you know, what I'm saying right now, everyone on the right is listening to going, yeah, I've, that's the most beautiful argument for border security I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, part of the problem, I'm just going to say this to people on the right, part of the problem is that when you talk about it or when Trump talks about it, they miss an opportunity to lay out the humanitarian case for a secure border by focusing on a small percentage who are rapists or a small percentage who are actually hardened criminals. You miss the opportunity. When you adopt that language and that's all you talk about, you miss the ability to actually secure the border. If Trump came out of the gate talking like I'm talking... That border would already, half of the Democrats and all the Republicans would be like, you know what, secure it. Yes, we need some barriers. Let's be more responsible. Yes, talk, let's talk about this issue. Because, you think because my message is a message of love. My message is a message that doesn't just, you know, I don't put Christian in my profile. I curse all the time. I've been known to have sex out of wedlock. I have a child and I'm not married. All kinds of crazy things. I like drinking scotch and and if I go to California, I maybe would get high. You're like, I don't know. Like, I don't profess to be sanctified or whatever, but I tell you what, I do take very seriously, right? Is I'm aware of the fact that when we're talking about those people showing up at our border, the vast majority of them are the poorest of the poor. I spent two days with that caravan in, in Tijuana. And when I was with that caravan and interviewing those people and talking to those people, all the kids I met who were in the 10 to 11 to 12 year old range looked like they were six years old. Why? It would benefit them if they were six, so no, the people weren't lying. It would benefit them more if they were younger. But that's how old they were. Why do they look that way? They look that way because where they're coming from, they don't have nutrition. Yeah. They don't have enough food. And it wasn't, they're not starving right now. They have tacos and food they're being given, but it's a lifetime of a nutritional deficit, of a nutrient deficit. And that's why those kids look that way. Yeah. Does that mean that we should allow... No, I'm a parent. I pay my daughter's health care and my health care. I, I understand as a taxpayer that we can't let the whole world come here. I get it. I'm not saying we should. But what I'm saying is that when we don't put Christian in your profile and then talk about those people like they're, like they're scum or dogs trying to come here that need to be sent away, don't do that. Because you're going to stand before God someday and he's going to tell you. He's going to say, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was cold and you didn't give me, cover me up. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. He's going to go, I hate to preach at you. And that's why I prefaced it with who I am and my, my own failures in life, my own faults. But I'm telling you, like our attitude to those people is horrible. 
And most of the people on the right who talk about those people, they don't pursue a message of love or a, 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 a humanitarian argument for securing the border. They talk about people like they're dogs. And that's, that's a big problem. And if Republicans didn't do that, and if the Trumpian movement didn't, didn't do that, the border would already be secured. They've shot themselves in the foot on securing the border. Here we are with the government shut down. We can't get money for a barrier. The Democrats wanted six years ago. They were perfectly but happy, but now we can't get it because now it's associated with a message that, that, that you've given them the ability to not support it because you, you've, you've made it something that only appeals to a third of the Republican Party instead of to the majority of Americans, which it would if you just presented it in a more balanced way. Did the administration fail in not making the palm to finger the humanitarian yes. argument? A hundred percent they failed on this. See, this is where things get really tricky. you got to understand, my former boss was Steve Bannon. And Steve Bannon, I used to have this argument all the time about the, the arguments that people make and the way people approach it. You know, there's a way to approach people and there's a way not to approach people. And, you know, when I talk, everyone who loves Trump gets fired up hearing me talk about the border. And you know who else does? Almost every Democrat I know gets fired up hearing me talk when I talk because of the way I say it yeah. and because of the intention behind it. That is true. But, but when Trump talks, not everybody gets fired up. When Bannon talks, not everybody. Why? Why is that? It's because they focus on a sliver and, and I look at this issue and I go, you know what, I'm going to motivate people out of love to secure that border. And they don't do that. They motivate people out of fear and out of anger. And when you do that, you limit you limit the popul the, the percent the populace you limit the population of people who is going to support you and be on fire for what you're saying. And I get it. I get that people are fed up. I get that people are frustrated. I think 1,100 people coming into our country a day illicitly, irregularly is like insane. As a taxpayer, I think that's crazy. I think it's absolutely unsustainable and crazy. I get the frustration. I understand the frustration. As a, I didn't go to Harvard like most of my colleagues. I'm a blue-collar dude. I still have scars and calluses all over my hands. I come from a concrete background, doing concrete woodworking. My first job, my first big job, was at a refinery building scaffolding. I get it. I understand if you're out there working and you're a laborer that it frustrates you. If you don't own the company, you don't appreciate that there are a bunch of people here willing an unending supply of people willing to work for less than you. I understand the frustration. But you also have to balance it with making sure our tone about these people is not talking about them like they're dogs because they're not dogs. There were some young guys I met in Tijuana who I would not want in my country. The majority of the people I met were pretty decent people. And people say, what kind of parent would bring their kid into a situation like that? And Well, you know what? The kind of parent who the situation they were in was a lot worse than that. That's who would do that. And so, so we, we have a tricky problem. So when we talk about what would Brandon do to secure the border, yes, there would be more Border Patrol agents. Yes, there would be more technology. There would be more roads where, where agents could get to regions of our remote border. We would change policy to where it would say, if you come here illicitly, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how old you are, you're going to go right back home, right away. We are going to nip this in the bud. So I, I'm very hawkish and right wing on that on, on that that concept. 
But at the same time, I recognize that building barriers, building, putting more agents there, doing everything you want to do, even if you build it to the moon. Let me tell you something. Look at North Korea's southern border. That is a secure border. It's something that we're never politically going to be able to do, nor should we do. That is a secure border complete with concertine wire and landmines, okay, where they shoot you on site for crossing it. And people still cross it. Why? Because the desire to have a better life and to have more opportunities is that strong in humanity. That is how strong it is in mankind. It, they will do whatever. If you can't feed your kid, you will walk through a field of landmines to be able to and to provide. And that, if we don't recognize it, regardless of what we do, even though there's a lot we need to do, the bottom line, the root cause of this is that they have no economic opportunities in Central America and Mexico for the most part, parts of Mexico. And they have no opportunities because of corruption and because of cartels. That's the deal. So because of security and because of stability. So not only do we have to secure our border and change policies that pull people into it, but we have to more aggressively go after the cartels and the corruption. And in addition to that, we have to more aggressively promote economic opportunities in those regions. If Mexico was doing great, if the cartels were ended for the most part, which we have the power to do, if, if the cartels were ended, we'd get in a howl, but we do have the power to do that. No, I don't mean sending troops in. It's all about going after the money people. That's what it's about. And if we, if we were to help reduce the cartels' hold on Mexico, go after corruption in Mexico, and Mexico was okay, they have a lot of resources. People from Central America wouldn't come through Mexico to get to the U.S. They would just stay in Mexico. Yeah. And then Mexico can deal with Central America's economic development, right? Right. But instead, what we have is a situation where everyone on the right is, I say everyone, a lot of people on the right are like, oh, that's not our problem, that's Mexico's problem. And then they're like, go into Syria, rebuild Iraq, go into, the, and I'm like, well, they're way the hell over there. Yeah. And you're perfectly okay with using governmental funds to nation build over there, but you don't want to spend anything in our border region. I mean, how crazy is that? Brandon Darby sounded off. We're going to get into a quickie break, come back in, get a little sound off from as Brandon Darby blows off some steam. Coach Poe, this edition of Other Side of Texas, stick right where you are. Welcome back in this segment brought to you by Lubbock File Room, providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to Lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992. Don't just go throw it in a trash can. Let your enemies, your business enemies or your across the alley enemies go through that stuff for a free and hassle-free estimate call in today it's easily priced i can tell you that right now they gave me a free and hassle-free estimate lubbockfileroom.com give them a call 806-744-7666 today close out this edition of the program brandon darby managing editor of breitbart texas and coach poe uh, Coach Poe, this one ask you. You work with kids all the time. Marijuana, should it be legal? Um, forget the medicinal side. Just marijuana altogether. Legal or illegal based on what you see day to day? 
you know, I think based on what I see the other day and uh, kind of to go along the sides of, of alcohol. I mean, at one point, alcohol was not legalized. You know, you had uh, speakeasies and bootleggers and all kinds of things like that. And uh, It's Shady and Abernathy. That's who we had. From what I've understood. Shady, shady and Abernathy. Yeah, that's his name. Go, But go ahead. But he, so, I guess basically my point is, should it be legalized? I think, yes. I'm okay with it being legalized. Does there need to be an age for it? Yes. Uh, What's the age? I, I, you know, I think for me, why not 21? If if the alcohol is going to be 21. I have a question. I'm going to interrupt you because I always thought about this. May I interrupt you and ask you a question? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say so no to you. Why, <laughs> okay, let's talk about this. Why do we make people wait to be 21 before we let them buy alcohol? That's a great question, and I don't know. You don't have to be twenty-one. Well, and I see shady. Hold on, that's because we feel like they're not mature enough yet to make decisions like that and to, to handle it responsibly. But they are old enough to vote about it. Well, not only that, but they're old enough to join the military and uh-huh. we send them to war. Doesn't that sound bizarre to you? It does. Doesn't that? No, but I mean, really think about it. Like, and, and I guess I would argue for like raising the age people could join the military. But then if we did that, most people wouldn't join, would they? They well, wouldn't join you have a, a lot a less options of military, I would think. Because can you imagine these kids, I guess, going through and not just not being eligible anymore, I guess? or Yeah, but 21, if you raised it to 21. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, it just seems inconsistent to me that people are like, well, we shouldn't let people drink or smoke pot or do whatever before they're 21. It's like, yeah. why? Because they're just not old enough. But they can go sign their life away and go to a war zone for us? It's kind of weird, right? Very weird. So if they're old enough to go to war for us, why aren't they old enough to drink? They didn't ask me, but I I would I but you see, the same train of thought. You see, twenty one. Weird, right? I, the only reason, and the only reason that I say twenty one is because of, that's the legal age of alcohol right now. Now, if they were at some point to bring the legal age of drinking down to eighteen, mm. I would be. A, I mean, I think that whatever the age for alcohol is should also be the age for marijuana. And here's the deal too. And, and Brandon kind of hinted on this earlier, watching his grandfather struggle through a terminal illness, is that I watched my mother die from lung cancer. Um, and some of the pain that she went through, and I and I just was thinking, and I remember thinking, man, it would just be so nice to go if she could smoke a joint. I mean, because it would be way better, and she would have a lot more. And like you said, it it didn't prolong your grandfather's life. But it definitely added to the quality of his life. His enjoyment, right? And that's what's so. This is what's interesting about where it's where it's legal, right? Uh, and and there still exists where it's not legal, but it's because people smuggle it, right? There are things now like a vaporizer, not a vape pen, but a vaporizer, and people put the marijuana in the vaporizer, and it turns out that you can heat heat it up to it to the temperature where the THC vaporizes and you can breathe it in but it doesn't burn the leaves so there's no smoke so people with emphysema could utilize it people with with breathing problems or COPD could utilize it and not be smoking yeah. any 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 burned combusted material under their lungs no tar no none of that stuff yeah. and then where it's legal also then we talk about vape pens right so e-juice like e-cig juice or whatever they have it in that, so nobody's even, at that point, there's not even any marijuana. It's like some extract from the marijuana that people are vaping, so there's no smoke being inhaled into their lungs. And that's kind of an interesting thing, and so so I would imagine that the, the, the real crafty folks nowadays don't even 
don't even smoke marijuana. They yeah. they vape it or they they vaporize it, you know, so that they're not breathing in uh, smoke. It seems like there should be an essential oil. Defuse some of that stuff. Yeah, anyway. no, I'm sure there's... So, Jay, my answer is yes. Uh, and I don't know if you're asking me. Do I agree? Do I think it should be legalized? My answer is yes. And, uh, I mean, I think yes for the fact that, you know, when the... 18-year-old kid gets busted with a joint. He doesn't go to jail for however crazy long amounts of time. And I know it's probably more than a joint. But you just you read these stories about these kids who were 17, 18, 19 years old who probably made really bad decisions for whatever reason. And they're doing 10 to 15 years for, for, for marijuana. And you just think about the, the dangers of alcohol. And, and I think we talked about it earlier, too. And just how many bad side effects and consequences have come from overuse of alcohol and uh you know i just don't see marijuana being in the same realm well we're going to cut off with that and uh next episode get in some economics the same guests here with us here coach poe brandon darby breitbart texas get in some populism and uh until then got to get home hold on now you got to have somebody argue in favor of, like, further criminalizing marijuana so you're balanced. Yeah, we're not going to be balanced for right now. Margaret. No, Margaret we should call lock in. that stuff up. We should no. get rid of it completely. Margaret. It's the devil's this lettuce. This is Margaret. And There's Daniel the Millennial giving the... Lettuce, hey, listen, I'm going to get home. Got to get home. Great family, above average dinner. Until next time, Rayvon buddies, Rayvon will see you right here on the other side of Texas.